Hello and welcome to the Podpolecast, the official podcast of the Podpol. You can check us out on Twitter at Podpolecast, or you can check out the Podpol Twitter at Podpol. You can also go over to podcasterpoll.com for some interesting semi-regular articles. For those of you who are unfamiliar, the Pod Poll is a poll voted on weekly by podcasters in the FBS from across the country, representing every corner of the league. And today I am joined by the Armchair Illini. Uh, tell us a little bit about your socials. Yeah, man. So um, my name is Alex. I run Armchair Illinois. Um, we're just a small Twitter page with the with a little website going on that we just started about three months ago. Um, those of you that know Ant Wright, uh, famous Twitter personality from the Michigan space, he started a full ride network. Um, yeah, just follow us at Archer Illini. Um, and then if you want to follow my personal account, which I basically just retweet a lot of sports videos, um, I'm Alex, A-L-E-X underscore K-Y-I, but Armchair Illini for sure. All right. And thank you again for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's always great to be able to talk to voters. And beyond that, thank you for being a voter. Yeah, of course, man. Thank you for having me. You did you did a great job with the um, the poll that you had the other month. It was a lot of hard work, and um, it was really cool to see like all the different voters. So kudos to you, man, and thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, let's start with the most important thing with any college football team, the schedule. Now, a lot of people would say that, you know, the team or the players or the coaches matter more. But we all know that the only thing that really matters is that little number next to the name and nothing else 100% absolutely because, you know, the quality of the team doesn't matter. But uh, so when it comes to the Illinois schedule, the way that I've been seeing it is there's a bit of a luck to it. And this seems like a good year for Illinois schedule wise. You don't play away at Penn State. You didn't catch Michigan or Ohio State, but you do get some very key home games and a pretty nice uh, out-of-conference schedule when it comes to trying to pick up wins. So what do you see coming out of this schedule, and what do you think are going to be the highs and lows of it? Definitely. You know, one of the first things that jumps out to me is the matchup versus Kansas. Um, You know, very two... two very similar programs. Unfortunately, I know Kansas has a history of being very, very, um, you know, downridden. But to be honest, this is kind of the Illinois coaches matchup because Lance Leipold was actually a finalist for the Illinois job back when Lovey Smith got fired. Um, so I think it's really interesting to see how Brett Bielema plays against Lance Leipold. They have very similar personalities. Um, you know, they're trying to rebuild the program. And I think that will be really cool because Kansas had a great season last year, you know, historically one of the best that they've had in, in quite some time. Um, I know they went, I think, believe six and six, but still for a program like Kansas, that's almost unheard of. And same with Illinois, who's had a pretty downtrodden decade. And Brett Bielema had um, last year the best winning or best, best record that they've had in quite some time. So the Illinois-Kansas one is definitely something that I'm looking forward to. Um, and I think if you can win your first two games against Toledo and Kansas, you can create a really nice environment at home against Penn State. Um, if you remember a, a few years ago when Illinois played Penn State down in Happy Valley, they went to a nine overtime game. So that would be the nice rematch of that. Um, I think if you win those first two games as you should, I think you can have a really, really big atmosphere. Um, and then going into after that, Illinois playing against Purdue, uh, we're defensive coordinator of the last two years under Brett Bielema is now the head coach at Purdue, Ryan Walters. Um, and I know between the coaches, there is no bad blood, but the fan bases definitely have a little bit of bad blood because Ryan Walters took some key assistance from Be- Brett Bielema. Um, and anytime that a coach jumps to an in-state rival, there's always going to be a little bit of animosity. So those are the two ones that kind of jump out to me right off the bat. Yeah, and then when it comes to the Lance Leipold versus uh, Brett Bielema, do you think that choosing Brett Bielema long-term is going to be better than having chosen uh, Lance Leipold? Because a lot of people are touting Lance Leipold as like the second coming. They think he's a great coach who's building a great program. But then you look at Brett Bielema, and he's doing the same thing just without all the recognition. 
So do you think that Brett Bielma was the right choice or what's up with that? I definitely think that Brett Bielema fits Illinois a little bit better for a couple reasons. Um, you know, Lance Leipold is that humble guy, um, low-key kind of dude who um, just does his job really well. And I think that fits at a place like Kansas who, um, you know, the fans aren't really too well aware of the football program and just being stable after, you know, the Les Miles era and a lot of just really, really tumultuous coaching periods was perfect for Kansas. And then I think Brett Bielema was completely perfect for Illinois as well, because if you compare him to the last coach, Lovey Smith, I think Brett Bielema is just an outstanding CEO and he really just cares about the job. And we can go on for about an hour about how Lovey Smith was just straight incompetent toward the ends of his end of his uh, era in Illinois. But um, it's hard to say, you know, one over the other. I do think both deserve great recognition for what they're doing. Um, Illinois is historically a better program than Kansas, so um, that's why I don't think that he's getting as much of a recognition as as Lance Leipold. But um, I think Brett Bielema was perfect because he's just a great CEO who has a great understanding of the conference and the college football scene, and he really just he's a great salesman of the program, which is what Illinois needed after Lovey Smith, you know, just didn't really care. So. Um, hard to say one over the other, but I do think both programs, you know, got what they needed at the right time. Yeah, I think while it is true that Illinois might be a more highly regarded program over the years, uh, pretty soundly, I still think that it's you're taking a program that's was frankly thrown into ruin and you're building it back to what it can be. And I think that Lance Leipold at Kansas and Brett Bielma at Illinois, for both of those situations, I think you're completely right on pretty much all fronts. But also within the coaching staff, uh, it is notable that the defensive coordinator, or one of the defensive coordinators, Aaron Henry, is coming in, and it's his first coordinator job. How do you think the defense is going to be able to stay stable? Yeah, you know, the defense lost a lot, you know, starting with the coaching staff. Um, Ryan Walters was, uh, like, amazing, just purely amazing what he was able to do. Um, you know, he took basically the same players that Lovey Smith had. Lovey Smith had arguably one of the worst defenses in all of FBS football, like, historically bad. And, you know, Ryan Walters turned that thing around in, in very, very short fashion. Um, we just had three defensive backs. Um, drafted in the NFL within the first three rounds, Evan Witherspoon, Quan Martin, and Sidney Brown. And all three, you know, just rave about Ryan Walters and his impact. Um, but at the same time, I think Aaron Henry also had a part in the defense. He knows, you know, he was kind of the right-hand man of Ryan Walters. So there should be a smooth transition. Um, he called the defensive game, or he called the game as a D.C., in our bowl game and he looked fine. Um, I think he should be comfortable. And I think it's more about the players because you did lose a lot. And, you know, they've done a good job recruiting to, you know, replace those guys that got drafted, but there's a lot of new faces, especially in the backfield. So um, I think that'll be the biggest challenge. They have a great defensive line. Um, they returned two superstars in there, but in the backfield, it's a very young, very inexperienced group. Um, and it's not as deep as it was the past few years, but um, Aaron Henry's confident, you know, and I think he has all the, the makings to be just as successful as Ryan Walters was in his time in Champaign. Well, one of the uh, specific positions or two of the specific positions that you mentioned there with a strong defensive line and having some defensive backs drafted, I mean, even there, you have a brand new defensive backs coach, you have a brand new defensive line coach, um, and like, for instance, with the defensive backs coach, forgive me if I'm wrong because this is going off memory, but Antonio Fenelis was, I think, an analyst at LSU prior to this, but he had experience at uh, East Carolina? Um, to be honest, I don't remember off the top of my head either if he had experience at uh, as a coordinator somewhere else. I do know he's coming off an analyst position at LSU, but he played 
under Brett Bielema as well. You know, he was teammates with Aaron Henry. I think they have a great chemistry. Um, obviously, he just got here, so it's kind of difficult to see how he's doing in the recruiting world. But um, he has kind of the the DNA that Brett Bielema wants. He's a younger guy that played for him. Um, he knows what Brett Bielema wants and Aaron Henry. So I think Coach Finellis will be a good add, but it's it's to be determined. Um, you know, obviously coming from LSU, you you have some experience at at, at a big time program, but um, I think the the jury's still still out on that. And then we lost our um, outside linebackers coach Kevin Kane um, to Purdue. He he went up and and followed Ryan Walters to be his defensive coordinator. So um, we're replacing him with an NFL guy, um, Charlie Bolin, who who coached at, with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, he coached a lot of great outside linebackers, pass rushers. Their names are kind of slipping me off the top of my head, if I'm going to be honest. But um, those are the two kind of to-be-determined new hires that um, definitely will take some time to know whether those were successful hires or not. Yeah, and uh, all in all, though, before we get too off of it, um, I mean, having to replace six major coaching positions shouldn't be overlooked. But at the same time, I do believe that the players, the skill that's there, and just Bilama in general can cope with it, they can deal with it, and they can continue moving on. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there's just the trust that you have year in and year out that um, Brett Bielema is going to put his guys in the position to succeed, and it's crazy because this is only his third season, and he already has the trust of, I would say, at least 95% of the fan base. Um, so just goes to show how hard he's worked and how competent of a CEO he is. Now, have to ask, do you think Illinois can win the West? That's tough. Um, for those NBA fans where John Morant said, I'm fine in the West, I don't want to go that route right now. But um, they had a chance to win it last year, which was which was crazy, you know. Including um, a, having to play against Michigan, so... Exactly, exactly. You know, I think um, they had they had multiple opportunities to really clinch, you know, the driver's seat position, but um, it was kind of a bittersweet moment because they kind of had it in their hands and dropped it, but at the same time, you realize it's, it's Brett Bielema's second year. Um, I think they'll put themselves in position. I think Wisconsin's going to be better. You know, Nebraska's going to be better. You know, anytime you lose Scott Frost from a team, there's there's improvement. Um, I think Iowa really reloaded. You know, no matter what you think about their offense, they're always good. So there's definitely going to be some competition. Um, and Illinois has a lot of kind of unproven commodities that need to work out like they did last year. But I do think that Brett Bielema has the trust that you're going to be competitive. You know, I don't think there is a single game, you know, in conference play where... Illinois has looked uncompetitive and that's such a you know drastic change from the Lovey Smith era where you're losing games by blowouts you're you lose 63 to 0 on your home field you know Brett Bielema has been in every single conference game even at Michigan at Michigan so um I trust that he'll be in that but do I have the confidence to say that they can overstep Wisconsin Iowa and other programs that have proven that they could be successful i'm not sure yet you know one thing that has gone a little bit unrecognized in this whole discussion of the west and just how illinois is going to fare is nebraska matt rule marcus satterfield tony white i mean they're brand new they're all in and a lot of nebraska fans are probably overly optimistic about it they think that there's going to be this immediate change, some immediate skill, and possibly some immediate success. What do you think is going to be the outcome for Nebraska? Are they going to be a contender for the West, or what's up with them? Yeah, you know, the thing with Nebraska is that there's always reason to believe, and in some reason, it goes south. You know, the Scott Frost hiring made so much sense at the time, you know, former alum having success at UCF and it just fell on its face. And if you go back to that time, I think everyone would have made that same hire. 
Um, you look at their basketball program, and Fred Hoiberg makes so much sense with the kind of program that Nebraska was. It seemed like a home run hire. It's just gone south. So it's hard to say with a program like Nebraska, given their luck the past you know, six, seven years. But I think Matt Rule was you know, as good a hire you can make, given the circumstances that that Scott Frost thing ended. So um, I think it could be similar to how Hoiberg went down, you know, a guy that went to the pros, didn't do so hot coming back. Makes a lot of sense. I could see it going that way, but um, it can't go any worse than it did with the Scott Frost era, you know? So um, I think overall it's a great hire, but like I said, given how Nebraska seems to have their luck set out for them, it's hard to say for sure. Yeah, and I got to be honest, I was so hopeful as a – third-party observer at every turn every season I just thought man Scott Frost I believe in him he has this great history he was such a good hire he has to turn it around and then Literally. it just never happened and uh, and it, it's it's crazy to see because I mean he he had so much going for him and he had some great coaches under him. Well, depending on who you ask, because I know a lot of my fellow Pitt fans will disagree with his final season, uh, having any good coaches under him in any way. But when it comes down to it, he had every opportunity to make Nebraska a great program and make them great at the game instead of just great at making money. So right now they're in that same position, like you said. They, it looks like a great hire. It looks like it could be successful, but I don't know. I it's hope it's You know? <laughs> um, I mean, Matt Rule was great at Baylor, you know, what he was able to do and what he, how he was able to turn that around. But honestly, there's a little bit of um, parallel between Fred Hoiberg. You know, Fred Hoiberg turned down to, you know, he turned around a very – bad Iowa State program at the time, made it successful, went on to the pros, was not good, and then now he's coming back. So there is a lot of parallels, but he's been making some noise in the recruiting world, uh, which is something I think Hoiberg did not do. Um, so he's got, the, he's got the players, and Nebraska has a very, very passionate fan base, no matter what you think about them. So um, I'm honestly hopeful that they, they do have a little bit of stability because um, – you know, they're a struggling big brand. So anytime that happens, you, you kind of want them to be at least relevant so you can beat some of the more relevant teams in the country. Yeah, and then beyond that, I mean, the Big Ten, as it stands with its division structure, you, there has to be some kind of powers in the West Division. You have to have some ability for the division to actually compete with the East for that for the Big Ten championship. Now, do I think that's going to end up happening? No, but uh, before UCLA and USC get in, but I, you know, I always have that hope where it's maybe Iowa breaks out, maybe Nebraska breaks out, maybe Illinois breaks out. There's hopefully there's so many teams that have that opportunity to become a contender against Michigan and Penn State and Ohio State. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's a lot of boring programs, though. That's the thing. You know, every time you look at a team like Wisconsin, Iowa, even Illinois, they don't play that sexy brand of football that Michigan does or Ohio State or even Penn State does. It's a lot of very boring teams. I mean, you look at the past couple winners, um, whether it be Wisconsin or Northwestern. I mean, these are not the, you know, flashiest teams. There are a lot of just, um, you know, very, very vanilla teams, if that makes sense. So the Big Ten West is kind of tough. I don't know how the UCLA USC would affect it. I'm not assuming it's going to be much different, but it's a, it's definitely, definitely a less sexier brand of football. Yeah, and then beyond that, it's just brand size. Because you have Nebraska, that's a huge brand. You've got Wisconsin, that's a pretty decent brand. But then you've got Northwestern. Ugh. And and compare it to 
the East, where they've got Maryland, which is fairly successful brand, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, mm-hmm. then Rutgers, but that's beside the point. Um, and, and it's just these brands that have the opportunity to just cash in. I mean, you're not going to find a year where Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State are going to have an empty stadium. It just doesn't happen. But then if you're like an Illinois or an Indiana there in the East, I mean, if you aren't successful, it's over. You're done for your attendance. You're done for your fans' excitement. But then if you're in Nebraska, you always get this kind of excitement where people want to go to the game. But how long can that last through so much destruction and ruin of the program? So it for the sake of the West Division having some opportunity to put up a fight, I think Nebraska has to get good. I think Illinois, in that, they're not going to be as big of a brand, um, plain and simple, but they have the opportunity to be successful. And if you have a successful team, then everyone you play gets to say, oh, we're playing against a good team. We have to go to our stadium. And then if you're the successful brand, people start to recognize that they live in the state of Illinois, and they don't have to be a, a Northwestern fan. They could just be an Illinois fan and be happy. Yeah, totally. I mean, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, Nebraska is the, arguably the biggest brand, along with Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, if, let's say, Iowa or one of those three teams has like a, a five and seven record, you're still going to get a lot of fan attendance. If Illinois is two and four at the start of the season, their stadium will be half empty. And that's just how it is. And you got to see one of those big brands kind of take control of the West. But it's also a good thing for teams like Illinois because I do think that the West is so wide open that year in and year out, it it fits your kind of school. If you put Illinois out in the East, you know, you're going to see them where Indiana and Uh, Michigan State kind of has been the last couple years, too. So I think it's a good fit, to be quite honest, for a a school like Illinois. The only problem with it, though, is, I mean, there's two divisions in every conference. And, yeah, you can have this one team, this one uh, division that's super, super nice to be in as an Illinois. And it's compared to, like, the ACC, where prior to this season— they have the division standpoint. The Coastal Division is great for the Dukes and Pitts and, uh, and those teams of the world. But the problem is that you don't. there's no real contention. Up until very recently, Clemson would just sail... Clemson, or prior to them, FSU, would sail into the championship, and they would know that the Atlantic uh, Division was just better. And it's the same way in the Big Ten, where the no matter who the East champion is, they sail into the Big Ten championship, and they know that they're going to win. They, if you won the East, you won the conference. And the West needs a standout to make it so that the division means something. Totally. Yeah, you know, there's no respect given for the Big Ten West, um, and rightfully so, because the the conference is just so weak. I mean, you you look at how... Northwestern has been. I don't think there's like a true bottom team, but I think they're all just a lot of above average teams at best. If you look at all of them, you look at teams like Minnesota, um, Purdue, and if you look at even Iowa at their most successful, they're scoring 10 points max each game, you know? So I do agree with you that there needs to be some sort of fight going against the top three in the in the East Division, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, were consistently top 15 teams. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it does make for, you know, my own team to kind of have some success at the same time because I don't think Illinois being in any other division would even have a shot at winning their so-called division. So it's, it's a double-edged sword in my opinion. Yeah, it's great for the team, not great for the conference. But to be honest, 
if you're the fan of a team, you don't care about the conference. Very few people, exactly. unless unless you're a fan of say like ah like Ole Miss or Ole Mississippi Miss, State, yeah. <laughs> like you you want to tout that you're in the SEC because that's the SEC. But I mean, if you're like a Oregon or especially if you're like an Oregon State, you don't care that you're in the Pac-12. It doesn't mean anything to you. Yeah. But what it does mean is that you have a pretty easy road if the year is good. Definitely, definitely. So beyond all of that, though, there is still the positions. So I'm not super familiar with the depth chart, but I do know that, I mean, you lose running back Chase Brown. Uh, you lose you lose Devin Witherspoon. You lose these great, great players. I mean, heck, even uh, Alex... Uh, no, I was talking about uh, the other one that starts with P. Um, Pilstrom? Pilstrom, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you lose a lot of people that were all very, very good at what they needed to do. So mm -hmm. it's just... Do you think that Illinois can deal with that and make sure that they're in a good spot? Yeah, that's the tough thing. You know, I think Lovey Smith, as much as I bag on him, he did up the talent level. The only thing that he struggled with was creating depth and creating multiple options, um, you know, at each position. And I think Brett Bielema is going to have to prove that he, you know, one can, did he recruit properly to replace those stars? And two, was he able to develop guys, um, you know, at each position to take the reins when their time has come? And I think he's done a really good job at retaining some of these players and getting them to believe in the process of things. Um, obviously, anytime you lose NFL draft picks and, you know, five-year starters like Palczewski, and, um, you're going to have some some struggles and there's going to be a lot of concern given how unproven it is, but there are players, the players that are stepping in have shown moments, um, you know, that they're capable of doing. So if you look at the running back spot, you know, Reggie love was, he, he really came into his own at the end of the season. Um, you know, he had a great game in the bowl game in Northwestern. Um, he had a couple touchdowns as well. He was a former four-star recruit, Wisconsin recruited the guy. So I think he's ready you know, and then also Josh McCray had a great freshman year at about 600 yards as a true freshman behind Chase Brown. Last year, he was banged up. He never seemed to get healthy. You know, he's he's set for some big-time reps. Replacing Witherspoon, you know, that's going to be tough to replace a, a guy that was literally drafted fifth overall. Um, but they do have a guy like Taz Nicholson, who played really, really well down the stretch behind Witherspoon at the number two cornerback spot. He just has to stay healthy. Um, and they're working on creating even more depth because I don't think they want to rely on, you know, true sophomores or true freshmen like Lovey Smith had to do. So whether that's through the Juco route or the transfer portal route, they're still working on it. Um, but it's going to be tough because these are a lot of fresh faces who haven't seen significant reps at the college football level. Um, you know, specifically looking to replace Chase Brown, who was the offense last year. Um, so I do think that Bielema made, you know, preparations for this and those guys should be ready, you know, if all things, all things work out, but it's going to be tough to replace such great talent. I think we definitely, as Illinois fans, didn't realize what we had with, with Chase Brown and, and Witherspoon and, and Pilstrom slash Palczewski, given how consistent and how they're, how reliable they were. So, Again, kind of a to-be-determined, but I am hopeful that, um, you know, the fresh faces are, are ready for their time. And then beyond just fresh faces, I mean, you return uh, your four best wide receivers. Uh, you return, like you said, Reggie Love, Josh McRae. Um, you're not losing all of your production, but you are losing a lot, especially in the secondary. So it is going to be very interesting to see how that pans out and... I would absolutely agree there's no way Bielema was selling out for the 2022 season. What he got is very good, but I think he has the potential and he has the know-how where that's what he was building. And that was just part of the building towards what is his, 
hopeful future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Brett Bielema, when he first came here, he, he had a little bit of a soundbite talking about the, the lack of depth, and I think it got him a lot of fleck, but it's true. You know, Lovey Smith failed to create depth, and if one injury happened, the, the position was over, and you're burning people's red shirts, and um, I don't think Bielema has um, taken a liking to having to do that, so... Um, whether that's through the transfer portal, they just added um, a defensive back from SIU on scholarship. Um, they landed an All-American defensive back from FIU um, to step in behind Taz Nicholson. And, you know, I still think they're trying to add, whether that's on the offensive line so that they can get a little bit more uh, beefed up in the two-deep. In the two-deep, they have a lot of guys who would be redshirt freshmen. So I think they're trying to build up on that as well. Um, so, like I said, Bielema's a great CEO. He knows these things. He's very honest with his roster. He's very honest with himself and what he has and the type of program that Illinois is. So um, it's crazy, though, because we haven't really been able to see that in action because it's only year three. So interesting to see. Yeah, and I'm very hopeful personally that Illinois can build on what it has done so far. I think that it has the absolute potential it has a good coach. It has some question marks, but it has some points where there are no questions. You know that, well, there's always questions, but you know that you're at least going to get some of the production back. You know that you're going to at least be good enough. Maybe you could be even be good or great. But overall, especially com uh, combined with the fact that you only catch Penn State from the East that really matters— um, you get a lot of uh, opportunities. Now, it hurts a little bit that you have to play Penn State in Indiana instead of, say, Rutgers in Indiana. But I think Penn State is a little bit of a trap game for Penn State, where I was speaking to a Penn State podcast the other week, and they were talking about how they're going to go play against West Virginia at home, and then they're going to play Delaware. And then they play an away game at Illinois. And what they're going to be ha what's going to happen is they're probably, at least from my point of view and from the point of view of Vegas, going to crush West Virginia. They're going to get their spirits up. They're going to breeze through Delaware and then they're going to hit a team that actually is that like matters, a team that actually has the potential to stop them and they won't be prepared. They'll be thinking, oh, Illinois, it's just another West Virginia, except West Virginia was at home. Illinois is in Memorial Stadium. So I think that it's, it is a little bit of a trap for Penn State. Penn State will kind of be faced with an issue of getting in the right mindset, and they can't overlook uh, Illinois because they'll probably be looking forward to Iowa or, heck, it might just be on their minds of, we're the best team in the country. We can do this. And they'll forget that they have 10 games left. And once they, if they realize that they have 10 games left, then right then and there, they might not be prepared for game one. Yeah, I think it's always a likely scenario. I think Penn State has kind of had that reputation the past few years anyways. Um, it's kind of underestimating teams not being ready at the beginning of the season. Um, but I do think for Illinois... You have to win your first two games just because Illinois is the type of program that if they have a tough loss, you know, the fans check out. And attendance is already an issue at Illinois. And if you stumble against Toledo or Kansas, Kansas, a team that's very similar, like I said, to you, I think Illinois fans will be kind of checked out for that Penn State game. Um, and I think if you do win those two games, you have a chance to really, really sell it, really, really hype it up. You know, Illinois hasn't gone 3-0 and to start the season and, you know, like literally ever since I was born, probably. So there's a lot of opportunity, but being an Illinois fan, you kind of expect that it's not going to go that way because we've said the same exact thing the last three, four years. And They've always had a chance to start out the season 2-0, create some hype, and they fall. 
Um, not to say that last year wasn't a successful season, but they did the same thing. They lost to Indiana on the road, Friday night game, painful fashion. Um, so to be determined, but I do think that Illinois caught Penn State at a good time as opposed to having to play them towards the end of the season when they kind of got their, their bearings underneath them. You know, I think the big games for Illinois this year will be obviously that one, um, but having Wisconsin at home or um, going to Iowa and, and playing them on the road before you play Northwestern, those are the kind of circled games for me. Um, but the Penn State one, I do think we got them at the right time, and it will be interesting to see what the records are kind of going into that game. Yeah, and beyond that, when it comes to playing a team like Penn State, Penn State is going to have more depth than you do. So if you play them later in the season, it's still down to luck, but you run into the issue of are you going to have someone that can actually still replace what you had? Meanwhile, Penn State, they're going to have someone. So for Illinois' sake, and just the sake of having the depth, I think that catching them early on is much better than catching them later. Yeah, totally. And um, it's just the Kansas game. You got to win that one if you're Illinois. Um, Beating Lance Leipold at their place, their offensive-minded team, you're a defensive-minded team. Um, Got to take it to them. And... I'm really hoping that we're 2-0 before that Penn State game so that the atmosphere is good um, against one of the better teams in the the other side of the Big Ten. Uh, And I believe two weeks ago, I was speaking with a Kansas podcast, the Rock Chalk Pod, and they were talking about how their schedule with Lance Leipold and how they're going to do, they were almost overlooking Illinois. They saw Missouri State, okay, win. Illinois, okay, win. Nevada, okay, win. We're going 3-0 and into the BYU game. So there is a bit of an opportunity where Kansas, and this is crazy saying that it's Kansas doing it, but Kansas might just kind of write off Illinois. They might say, okay, so we're going to have an easy 3-0 start. And then they don't, when, whenever it comes to the first four games, they're not thinking about Illinois. They're thinking about BYU. They're thinking about starting off their conference schedule against the new guy in town with some strength. So there is an opportunity where a lot of people, especially early on before uh, Illinois has the opportunity to have that success, a lot of people might be writing off Illinois, which is good for Illinois, at least when it comes to playing the games. Can't say it's good for Illinois when it comes to (laughs) attendance. Yeah, I definitely think that Illinois does better at least historically when they're not picked to win um i think they do better with an underdog mentality at least the players that were on the last few years those were kind of lovey smith players um so it's hard to say whether brett bielma's recruits are the same in terms of how they're wired but i do think that illinois does better with the chip on their shoulder and that's the kind of program that they have to be um especially in football they just have to have a chip on their shoulder know that no one's expecting them to win no one picks them to win i think when that's the case that's when they've done their best in the last two years you know um no one expected them to win in happy valley against penn state in nine overtimes um you know no one expected them to go to camp brandall last year and, and dominate wisconsin um you know no one expected them to even be competitive against michigan in the big house but People expected them to win against Michigan State at home when they're seven and one, and people expected them to win against Purdue, um, you know, in a tight Big Ten, you know, Big Ten West Conference race, um, and then they they fell apart. So I do think that having a chip on their shoulder is the way to go, at least from a fan standpoint that supported this team for you know probably longer than most people would. So. Yeah, long story short, have a chip on their shoulder, and I think things can actually go well with them against Penn State. The issue is then, in that case, say best-case scenario happens. They have a chip on their shoulder. They're the heavy underdog going into Penn State, and then they beat them, and they beat them convincingly. Well, from then on out, they're going to get favored in every game they play. 
So does that hurt yeah. them later in the season if they beat Penn State? Um, I would hope not. I mean, I would hope you wouldn't lose to like Florida Atlantic the next week. Um, but I think it's just an opportunity to build momentum. Um, having that big time win at home in your against your you know with your home crowd behind you would literally just be so you know just so huge for the fan base because I don't think that's exactly happened yet. Um, you know, you've had some big time wins on the road. Um, in these kind of hostile environments, and you come back home and you kind of lay an egg. I was at that game, you know, versus Michigan State, and they laid an egg, and that was really, really deflating. It was like the first sellout in, in God knows when um, for Illinois, and they they weren't ready for it. So I'm interested to see how they handle success. I do think it's a little easier because a lot of these guys aren't, the Lovey Smith guys that were so used to losing that they couldn't really handle that big time moment. But um, just for the fan base, that's like the biggest thing. You know, I've always talked with our viewers about how, you know, tough it is to get Illinois fans to go to football games and be invested in them, especially with the culture of how Illinois is. Um, so I think just having that marquee win at home is something they still need to do. And it's still on the top of Brett Bielmo's checklist because he also knows that. And I'm sure he's, he's definitely looking forward to that, that opportunity. Yeah. And then when it comes to last season, can you really fall losing to like people overlook Purdue every year? So people, uh, people looked at him and said, Oh, you know, Illinois, they're doing really well they'll beat Purdue, but it's still Jeff Brom. But now you're running into a situation where it's not Jeff Brom. And I, I do think that when it comes to the West, when it comes to the schedule, when it comes to all of it, Illinois has that opportunity. And should they gain that momentum? I think that they could do it. They could, heck, now it's very unlikely because of the lack of depth at certain positions and uh, just how fate works for teams like Illinois. But, I mean, outside of Penn State, every single game on that on that schedule is a game that Illinois not even could, but you could argue should win. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you're going to end up going like 8-3 and three, or 8-4 and four in like a great situation because that's just how the football gods decided everything should be course um but you're i mean you're going to lose games that you should win but Mm -hmm. what do you think the ceiling is for illinois yeah i think their ceiling is that they can win the west um you know you have stars on both sides of the ball um you have excuse me you have wide receiver isaiah williams arguably the best slot receiver in the big 10 um you have a transfer from ole miss luke altmeyer as your quarterback he should be ready to go. Um, it's hard to see say what he will be like, given that he hasn't played much at Old Miss. But um, you have a Power Five quarterback, and you have an experienced offensive line. You got two guys who should have or could have went to the NFL draft, but chose to come back. Um, and on the other side of the ball, you got two guys also who could have went to the NFL draft, in Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton, um, who will likely be first team All Big Ten defensive defensive linemen. Um, and then you got Gabe Backus, Seth Coleman. The defensive line is one of the best in the Big Ten. Um, you know, you got experience at linebacker with Tariq Barnes. And you got some talent in the backfield. Um, it's very young talent, but you got some talent. And they have all the pieces there, you know. So I don't see why the ceiling would be to be in the same position that they were last year, in which you're fighting for the Big Ten West title. And. I think you look at some of the other teams that you're going to play, you know, Indiana shouldn't be very good. That should be a win. Northwestern, I mean, we've dominated them the last two years. You know, Purdue's brand new. Um, There's going to be some motivation to win that game from Illinois' side. Um, Maryland has been a hit-or-miss team. Um, Minnesota, you've also kind of, you know, done well against the past couple years. They're, like you said, other than the Penn State game and even maybe the Iowa game, you know, you're, you're picked to win. 
and you got some some favorable matchups and you got to take advantage of it because you never know how how long your window's going to last so um definitely think you hit the nail on the head that illinois has a chance this year yeah and not only do they have the chance i now of course we don't know what nebraska is going to look like but when it comes to my personal um picks for who's going to make the conference championships and my playoff picks, uh, which, of course, I have not posted because I will never, ever post my personal playoff picks because I don't want to deal with the fact that they're all going to be wrong. But personally, if I'm penciling it down, I'm going to say Illinois wins the West. I like that. Yeah, oh, I, I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you, there's too many questions in Nebraska. Purdue loses Brom, which, you know, he was the man who built the program. Uh, Northwestern is Northwestern. Now, Minnesota, they have an opportunity. Wisconsin, they have an opportunity. But it's new. But with Wisconsin's uh, situation, there's going to be some overhaul. There's going to be some growing pains. Minnesota is going to be Minnesota. They're pretty much the same team every year, which is a good team. But... I don't know if they're going to be good enough to beat this Illinois team, which is a great thing to say for Illinois' sake. And then there's Iowa. Now, Iowa is a big question because they have, of course, they're going to have an Iowa defense. And then, you know, can they do offense? Some people think maybe they can offense. Yeah, I mean, Cade Nack. Cade McNamara, is he ready? Is he ready to show that you know he can, he can, he can be what he can be? Um, you know they got some pieces on the offense, but it's never been done. I mean, they were so bad on offense the last year that you know it's kind of how Illinois was two years ago. Brett um, Bielema's first year, their offense was just terrible, and that limits you so much, um, especially in the Big Ten. Because you got to be able to score, and I think that's why Jeff Brom has actually done, you know, the way or did the way that he did, you know, just because he was able to score. Um, is it a a recipe for consistent success? Probably not. I mean, Jeff Brom had a subpar five hundred sub five hundred record in in conference play, but he did have big wins. He beat Ohio State. You know, I think he was capable of those big wins in the Big Ten West, but. Um, Iowa was just so anemic on offense. It's like, how can you actually put something together just by adding Cade McNamara um, and his old tight end that he that he used to play with, you know? So um, I do think the Luke Fickle hire was great. I think getting him from Cincinnati was an outstanding move. Um, will it be like Scott Frost? I'm not sure because, you know, kind of similar trajectory. But I do think Fickle is more ready for it than Scott Frost know ever was so wisconsin and iowa are the two biggest question marks you know um going against illinois i mean luke fickle went to the playoffs i mean he he is a real deal coach he did so well at cincinnati and i think that you know he could be good for wisconsin i don't know if he's going to be a superstar but he certainly no i don't think personally i that he's going to be bad I think he's going to be at worst mediocre and yeah. I think he could add some stability that while Wisconsin already had, um, I think he can keep it going. Yeah. I think he's a bit similar to what Paul Chris was, honestly. Um, you know, just a good stable coach. Um, obviously the Chris kind of flamed out, uh, especially like the last year. Um, but Paul Chris was not bad coach i mean obviously you can make an argument that he kind of just inherited what he had that's why he started off pretty good but um not a bad tenure if you look at it at all um so i do think that fickle can continue that um with a little bit more consistency and a little bit more excitement yeah and then i mean uh i always find a way to mention it i'm a pit fan and Mm -hmm. i so i saw paul christ i mean paul christ He's a pretty good coach. I don't think that it was just that he inherited goodness and that's why he did well early on. I think he had a legitimately good 
uh, coaching philosophy. I think he had a legitimately good idea for the team. It just didn't roll his way. And whenever mm-hmm. it doesn't roll your way, yeah, it's on you because you're the guy in charge. You're steer- steering the ship. But I, I don't think it was entirely all on Paul Crist. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so I'm sure as a Pitt fan, you probably hated the Scott Frost offensive coordinator hire, huh? Um. Oh, remind me who it was. I, for, I even forgot his name. Um, it was the last season. Everyone thought he was going to... Uh, you know, oh, Mark up. Whipple. No. Yeah, Mark Whipple. There's it. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Pitt people hated Mark Whipple. <laughs> I, tr- like, truly, whenever he got hired, I, 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 I listened to a lot of Pitt podcasts. Everyone was ecstatic because we didn't have to have him for another year. <laughs> I mean, it was... Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, he showed himself last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he did well because he had Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone would do well if they had Kenny Pickett. Sure. But, oh, Mark Whipple. It's insane, you know, how much, how many offensive coordinators kind of make their name after having just, like, a, an NFL, like, top-of-the-line quarterback. Uh, like, if you look at, like, Cliff Kingsbury, same kind of deal. It's like, yeah, he had Patrick Mahomes. Um, yeah. Kind of, and he wasn't even that good. <laughs> yeah, and it, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, I've got opinions. Um, I, I'm, I am very much a prototypical Pitt fan when it comes to my opinions on most coaches that have uh, had any interaction with Pitt, outside of um, a lot of the Big Ten ones, where like James Franklin. I don't like him uh, when I have to play against him. But, I mean, he's a good coach. I'm not going to deny Agreed. it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, the, what he has done at Penn State is awesome. absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, yeah he, had, he had two down years um, coming in through COVID. And then he, I think he's had a, three 11-win seasons and two 9-win seasons outside of that. Yeah. I mean... I don't see how anyone could ever uh, look at him and see and say, man, he's not a good coach because he is. Yeah. yeah. Same um, thing about Harbaugh. You know, people give yeah. him flack. Um, obviously well, I mean, the he whole, was on the hot seat not long which ago. Which I think was just absurd. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, you couldn't beat Ohio State for a couple of years. But I mean, if you look at Michigan under Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, Jim Harbaugh was killing it. And I think Michigan fans were, you know, after this dude's neck just because he wasn't able to get over the hump at the end. Um, I thought that was absolutely insane. You know, he had the one bad year with COVID, um, but who didn't? Um, he, he's been, Jim Harbaugh's been great. And I think Michigan fans always find a way to kind of kind of cry over things. But I love Harbaugh. Har- Harbaugh's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, um, if you see a coach and they're a coach of your team, it's very easy to find faults. Mm-hmm. Man, anytime you're at a program like Michigan or Penn State or Ohio State, you expect to be in the conversation every year. Yeah. And a lot of the time, that's just not how it works. Like, a lot of people uh, really need to realize that yeah, you can have a down year, but what was the year before that? Like, exactly. people go for coaches next, but a lot of the time, it's not a bad coach. It's a bad year, and you're only going to see if they're a bad coach if they get to maybe three or four of the same year in a row, and then you're like, oh, okay, now let's take a he step sucks. back. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I mean, like I said, Michigan before Jim Harbaugh with Brady Hoke and Rich Rod, not good not good at all so um i'm glad that harbaugh actually got over the hump and and beat ohio state twice but yeah i I definitely think that there's some great coaches in the big 10 for sure plus if you set your bar for success at beating ohio state every year that's a pretty high bar that's gonna be a pretty tough bar to get is from the me from the start yeah Um, absolutely and then doing it back to back is 
I mean, he, he he's a great coach. Yeah, agreed. Um, now, uh, as we come to the closing moments, I do want to make sure I ask you four questions that yeah. are becoming something of a necessity for this podcast and how it ends. So there are four questions that every college football fan, podcaster, or news broadcaster, anyone, needs to have an answer to. And you, you can take as much time as you want to think about it. You can really you can vocalize your opinions before you hit the one that you want to stick with. But these are the big questions, the ones that as a college football fan, if you don't have an answer to them, I, are you even a fan? So, let's get started. First off, what was the best moment for you as an Illinois fan? Your highest high, the greatest you've ever felt. I mean, you're going to have to be searching for some some moments here as an Illinois fan. Um, In the last 10 years, there were a couple that really stick out to me. Um, I don't want to dig too deep into the lovey smith era but his second game um as a coach here 2016 um it was my senior year of college last year um he just won the week one game against you know some i think it was murray state and second game week two night game against north carolina i know north carolina not the greatest but north carolina had mitch trubisky at the time um, and Memorial Stadium was packed, as I've never seen it before. And um, I've just never seen it in my, because the last three years, you know, empty stadium, empty stadium, you know, bad season, two and 10, et cetera, what have you. Um, and then Memorial Stadium was packed, night game. And the first play, or like the second play, um, there was like an 80-yard touchdown run. And the place was you know, absolutely incredible. It was it was amazing as an Illinois fan to get to see that. Um, unfortunately, it never really amounted to anything. That was kind of like the high point of Lovey Smith's tenure at Illinois. So that's kind of a bittersweet moment. I think second moment would probably be um, for me just going to the game. It was my first game last year, first game under Brett Bielema. Um, and it was like one of those first games, like after the whole COVID things were going on. Um, so just being able to have fans back in the stands and, and see, you know, a live audience and see a live crowd, a pretty good crowd, um, and then get a win against Nebraska. Those two are definitely, you know, the ones that stick out for me. And I got to admit, pretty good moments. Yeah. Now let's, every coin has two sides. What was your worst moment? And if you oh. had to fish for a good moment, something tells me this one might be a little easier oh, or yeah. harder because Where there's options. Oh, man. Um, and there's a couple ones that definitely stick out to me. Um, most recently, I would say that Michigan State game. Um, Illinois was 7-1, and one, had the Big Ten West in their hands. Uh, Michigan State, as you know, struggled most of the season. Um, and... The game was there, um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to this game because we're gonna, but we, if we win this, we might clinch the Big Ten West. And on a whim, decided to go with some friends. Um, very cold, very windy day, but um, Illinois just laid an egg, and they just weren't good, and you could just feel the air get deflated out of the entire stadium. Um that was a tough one to swallow, despite Illinois having a really good season. Um, man, that was a tough one for sure. Another one was um, Illinois, I believe it was Lovey Smith's third year. He, I think it was 2018. We lost on our homecoming. I wasn't there, thank heavens for this, but we lost 63-0 to zero against Iowa Ooh. on homecoming. And I've never been more ashamed to wear anything Illinois. And if you know me, all my clothes have like an Illinois logo on it or some sort of Illinois gear. It was at that moment where I was like, there's something wrong with us. (laughs) 
So that was those two moments, especially that 63 to zero against Iowa of all people, you know, Iowa scored, I think at least 63 points in the entire season this past year. And then they dropped that on us on our homecoming on our home field. That was just, just pure ashamed. So those two moments definitely stick out for me in terms of a bad moment. All right. Back to some lighter topics. (laughs) Thank you. Um, who is your favorite player? They can be from Illinois or just college football in general. Who mm-hmm. stuck out to you the most? Who stuck with you the most? Mm. And it could be anyone in college football? You can define favorite however you want. Yeah. Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, because we never really, you know, obviously like basketball, you have more individual performances. Um, but I guess someone that I always enjoyed watching um, was Chase Brown, to be quite honest with you. Um, but then also the two guys that really, really stuck with me. Um, actually, this one player would be Devin Witherspoon. You know, just seeing his story, um, mm. seeing how hard he played. And he wasn't, if you see him in person, he's not like this huge, you know, demeaning defensive back. He's um, just a guy that played really, really, really hard. And if you know his story, he was about to enroll in JUCO. Um, he had to pass his SAT at like the very last second to get into Illinois. Enrolled in August, um, was like literally 180 pounds, if if that, as a true freshman. And then somehow found his way onto the field, you know, through special teams, got a starting position, and just now look at him. So if you look at that rise, um, it's just really really cool to see and it's really really inspiring um so i think devin witherspoon um definitely sticks out as one of my favorite and then just watching chase brown go at it every single game was really really awesome as a as an illinois fan and a college football fan so those two guys well and here's to hoping we get to see devin witherspoon continue that success and keep on it yeah um, now for the final question, a bittersweet moment. Uh, who or what is your favorite rivalry? And it could be, so far everyone has done for their specific team, but I mean, it could just be your favorite rivalry in all of college football. Yeah. Hmm. I think I'll kind of go both ways. I think in terms of Illinois, I'd say the Illinois Northwestern one is pretty cool. Um, even though Northwestern is kind of trash and they kind of suck, um, just seeing how serious it is for both fan bases to kind of play each other is, is pretty cool. Um, I think in terms of favorite in general, the Michigan versus either Michigan State or Ohio State is one of my favorites just because of how much talk there is. And honestly, I mean, it's bittersweet, like you were saying, but... Just seeing how personal it gets is kind of funny, um, especially on Twitter when you when you see guys kind of going after each other. It's like, wow, you you guys really care about your your sports teams. So I think those two Michigan rivalries definitely are are a lot of fun. Um, one of my best friends goes or went to Michigan, so just seeing how how much it like it gets with gets to him when something goes wrong is it, kind of funny. So I think that that's what kind of college rivalry should be. It should be something that makes you sick to your stomach if it goes wrong or um, gets you really riled up and, and gets you pissed off. So I'll have to go with that. Yeah, and there's, uh, I will say from experience, that rivalries can bring some of the highest highs and the lowest lows in oh, yeah. how you feel. I mean, oh, yeah. I have been to some rivalry games that were just so, so disappointing. Mm-hmm. And maybe, like, two that were very good. <laughs> so yeah. uh, sometimes it's unfortunate. But overall, love rivalries. I think it's a great part of the game. And I think those are three wonderful rivalries. I mean, yeah. Michigan's, Michigan State, Michigan-Ohio State are nationally known big ones and then yeah. illinois northwestern you get an, yeah, an in-state rivalry and from my personal opinion 
uh, in-state rivalries are just the best because yeah. everyone in that state has an opinion. Everyone on that game day is either going to be for Northwestern or Illinois, Pitt, yeah. Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. I mean, anytime I see someone walking down the street anywhere in the world wearing a Michigan State or, or a Michigan shirt, I always make sure to... Uh, say go blue or go green but i always make sure to say the opposite of what they're wearing yeah so it's um i love those rivalries and i think those are some good picks yeah i agree i mean Pitt and penn state is that kind of the the rivalry for you guys um well it's complicated Pitt is our biggest rival is west virginia i would say that without a doubt um I mean, it's the backyard brawl. There have been some... I have some great stories that a listener of the pod will absolutely hear at some point, either in the past or in the future. Um, And a lot of them are mostly uh, going after West Virginia fans for being a little bit overly rowdy, um, which I don't think they would deny. But then with Penn State, Penn State doesn't want to schedule Pitt because it matters more to Pitt if they win than it matters if Penn State wins. And Penn State likes to, uh, and now this is a little bit of a disagreement, but I uh, just spoke with a Penn State podcast, so I can say it. Um, They like to say that they're unrivaled. um, Of course. And if you're unrivaled, it really hurts to schedule an out-of-conference rivalry. So (laughs) they've been avoiding us for a long time. I bet. All right. Hey, thank you for coming on again. Uh, it's ac- It's been an absolute pleasure, and here's to hoping Illinois does well. Go ahead, shout out your socials, and everyone make sure you check out Fighting Illinois po- uh, podcast, their Twitter account. Uh, it is a very good Twitter account, if I do say so myself. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, man. Um, you know, I know we've been kind of working on this for a little bit, so appreciate you having me. Great conversation um, and great work, man. You just, you've been hitting all the bases, so... Um, definitely shout out to you. Um, if you want to follow us, um, Armchair Illini is our Twitter, and we usually follow back. So hit us up. We're always down to talk, and appreciate you having me on, man. Absolutely. And you can check out the Podpole Cast on Twitter with Podpole at Podpolecast. You can check out the Podpole at Podpole on Twitter. Pretty straightforward stuff. And you can go to our website at podcasterpoll.com. We're on every streaming service that you can think of, probably. And if we're not, let us know and we'll get on it. So thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful day.